As we read God's holy word, we're going through the book of Daniel. It's just been exciting. I've learned so much myself just uh, doing all the study for this. Things that I did not know, and I hope you're learning as well. We're in chapter 7, verse 9 through 14 is all I'm going to read today. But uh, there's a lot in here that we're going to look at. Verse 9 says, New Living Translation, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One, the Ancient of Days, it's the only place in the Bible where it says that. Remember that great song we used to sing? About the Ancient of Days. I love it. He sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Friends, I just want to tell you, you do not want to be at this. This is describing the great white throne judgment. Everybody there is headed for an eternity without Christ. We have, we believers have a different judgment. It's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And it's different than this, but this is describing what's known in the book of Revelation as the great white throne judgment. I continue to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. The little horn, that's the Antichrist, the Antichrist. Antichrist spirit's been around for a long time. There's a lot of people throughout history that have fit in to the Antichrist spirit, but this is the Antichrist. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire, okay? That's the Antichrist. That's what his ending is going to be. He is going to be killed by Jesus, and his body will be destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a, a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. You know who that is? Absolutely. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all of the nations of the world. Now that you want to be at, that's the coronation of Jesus Christ once and for all as the all-time King of Kings and Lord of Lords, it's going to happen. So that the people of every race and nation and language will obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. Father, you're awesome. You're in charge. Nothing takes you by surprise. You know everything that's going to happen. All of the prophecies in this book either have been or will be fulfilled. And these that we read this morning are going to take place. We don't want to be at the great white throne. We want to be at the coronation 
of our Master and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the hope that's in our hearts, for the purity of, of the privilege that's ours to be believers in Jesus and all that you have in store for us for the rest of eternity, for this thi these things we give you high praise. Come on, let's shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to live forever in his holy presence. You may be seated, everyone, and God richly bless you today. Now, um, let me get, make some adjustments here. There we go. So, how many of you heard the story happened on Monday, June the 13th? There were people at the San Diego Wild Animal Park that had a big shock because they looked into the gorilla cage, or, you know, it's a big area where the gorillas roam, and they were shocked to see this little dog running around in the enclosure, the gorilla enclosure. Now, there was a dominant, the dominant gorilla's name was Franklin. And he was trying to protect his home as this dog was running back and forth trying to find a way out. Because apparently several stray dogs had entered the park, but this dog, I think we have a picture, if we can show it. This dog, uh, I think he's in the shepherd family, uh, German shepherd family, he found his way into the gorilla area through the staff entrance. And clearly the dog was terrified, but it looked like this silverback gorilla was enjoying the diversion because he started chasing this little puppy around. Now, eventually the zookeepers were able to get Franklin, the gorilla, to leave the enclosure and returned to his cave, and they rescued the dog unharmed. So, PETA, it's okay. No animals were hurt when this happened. They named the cute little adventurous dog, for some reason, I don't know why, maybe you'll know, Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> now, the puppy's owners have been located, uh, they have not been located, so, there's, there were a bunch of news reporters that said, uh, we'll take that cute little puppy home. I'm telling you this because a gorilla really is a terrifying animal with great strength and surprising agility. You do not want to have to come up against a gorilla. However, Franklin is not nearly as terrifying as one of the four wild beasts mentioned by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7. You need to read about it. I didn't really want to make time to read the whole thing today, but when you read about these beasts that are coming up out of the sea, and we all know because of previous dreams by Nebuchadnezzar and interpretations by Daniel that these four Beasts represent the four kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. So in Daniel's vision, now Daniel in chapter 7, he has his own vision. He has his own dream. And it's very, very similar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw the big statue 
Daniel saw all of these beasts, okay? And the emphasis in his vision is on these four kings. Now, there are only four kings, ladies and gentlemen, ever who conquered the entire known world. I mean, several have tried, some have come pretty close, but there's only four that conquered the whole world. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander the Great, and Julius Caesar. They're the only four world conquerors. Now, there was a woman by the name of Anna Bradstreet. She was actually the very first American woman poet. She was born in England in 1612, but she moved to America into the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630 with her husband and her parents. She was a strong Christian. She was a Puritan. She was a, a poet, and she wrote many, many poems about her love for her family and her country. But the longest work that she wrote was based off of Daniel chapter 7. It was a lengthy poem about the history of the four kingdoms of Daniel 7. The poem was 115 pages long. I shall now read it to you. <laughs> Just kidding. She writes concerning Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the stone out of the mountain then did rise and smote those feet, those legs, those arms and thighs, then gold, silver, brass, iron, and all the store became like chaff upon the threshing floor. And then a few verses later, she writes about the four wild beasts. Yet shall this lion bear this leopard ram, all trembling stand before the powerful lamb. In Daniel chapter 7, you can either focus your attention on Jesus or on the Antichrist. So, I'm going to give you just a little bit about the counterfeit, but we're mostly going to look at the real thing today. The Ancient of Days and His Son, the Son of Man. Chapter 7 is a crucial, essential passage in the Bible. The vision of God as the Ancient of Days is found only here in the Bible. The Son of Man was the favorite designation of Jesus for himself, and it's first used here in verse 13 as a title for the Messiah. In fact, I have no doubt Jesus left us all important clues so we would never doubt that he's the Messiah, and this is why he refers to himself in the Gospels as the Son of Man. He wanted everyone who ever read the book of Daniel to put two and two together. Now, this is an apocalyptic passage, which means in times it's going to happen at the end, and it describes a lot of things that the same ideas are in the book of Revelation. Point number one on my message today is the future revealed. The future revealed. Now, these writings foretell a time of great trouble and difficulty for God's people, especially brought about by an evil individual known as the Antichrist. However, the main truth that they teach is the victory and eternal reign of God the Father and His Son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, as one like the Son of Man, 
is the fifth king and is contrasted with the kings of the world who are pictured as wild beasts. That's important. That's the title of the message today. Did you understand the title? It's hashtag king number five. Back in my day, that little symbol for hashtag used to mean number. And this new generation came and stole it. And now it means hashtag. So I just used them both in the title. It's important that you know this. There were four world dominant kings and no more. Who knew that? Yahweh knew that. And now Jesus comes in this chapter as the fifth king. And he's also contrasted with the other kings because their rulership ended, but his never will. His rulership will never, I like the way the original language states it, his kingdom will never suffer injury. These beasts culminate in the most evil king of all, the Antichrist. He's identified in Revelation chapter 13 verse 1 as a therion, 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 a monstrous, evil, satanically inspired wild beast. And in verse 2 of Revelation 13, this monstrous wild beast possesses these wild characteristics of the beast in Daniel's vision, 13.2 says it looks like a leopard. It has the paws of a bear. It has the mouth of a lion. This is extreme symbolism being used. And that causes many uh, Christians to, to have different views about what this means. Some believers in Christ, they believe all of this that was revealed in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation already happened before 70 AD. Others believe that right now we're currently in the millennial reign of Christ. Now does this seem like a perfect world to you? Does this seem like we're in the millennial reign of Christ right now? I believe those folks are in error. Anyway, as we go through these next six chapters, I'm not going to give you a lot of different interpretations. I'm just going to give you mine. Uh, I'm going to tell you what we believe in the assemblies of God, and it's one of the most common interpretations among all evangelicals. Daniel sees in his vision four wild beasts coming up from the sea. Now, the idea of the wildness of the beasts is that they are ferocious. They're predatory. They're untamed animals. And they're, they're intensely alive. The kingdoms of these four devour all the other nations. And these four kings established their kingdom over the entire earth. And I told you who they were. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and all, all of the Caesars. Okay, so these four beasts in order are a lion with eagle's wings. They are, uh, and, and that lion represents Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, equal to the head of gold in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, okay? And the eagle's wings represent how quickly the Babylonian armies moved out to conquer. It was like they had wings. But then the Bible says their wings were pulled off 
It says that in verse 4 of Daniel 7, and that signifies the reason why the great city of Babylon was conquered in one day. The second beast in our scripture today is the bear. It was raised up on one side to show that the Persian Empire was more powerful and more dominant than the Mede Empire. Now the third empire was Greece and that great king was Alexander the Great who actually died when he was 33 years old. But he had already conquered the world and he always wanted to fight the Persian Empire in battle and he got his chance October the 1st 331 BC when he had an, only an army of 35,000 that went up against the Persian army of 200,000 and through his excellent leadership the Greece army the Greek army won now these four heads represent the four divisions so so the, the, this leopard this panther this this um, that represents Alexander the Great in the vision had four heads and those four heads represent what happened after young Alexander the Great died at 33 it, his kingdom was split into four divisions with each one being led by a different person the fourth beast is said to be different from all the rest it was frightening it was terrifying uh, this beast if, do we have a picture of, of the, like the one that looks like Godzilla? Did I put that up there? Um, can you find that for me, Judith? There's a, there's a picture of the beasts. Uh, maybe it was already in a slide that we've seen. But I want people to see this fourth beast and what it looks like. Okay, that, that one right there is actually the, uh, a good depiction of the Antichrist. But the fourth beast, different from the rest, frightening, terrifying. It's identified with Rome and the legs and feet of iron mixed with clay. It has ten horns on its head, and that corresponds with the ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now, these ten toes and these ten horns represent the same thing, the confederacy out of which the Antichrist will arise. So we don't have that up there? Don't have that picture of the... It looks like a, a, like a Jurassic Park dinosaur with, with horns up on its head. Do you see it? No? Not up there? Let me look. Just kidding. I thought, sure, I put that up there. Wow. All right, well, I'm going to hope, I'm going to try to find that for you. It's so, it's just, you, you got to see it. You got to see it to visualize it. But suddenly in verse 9, we move to a vision. We move from Daniel's vision to heaven where thrones are being set up and the ancient of days is seated. That's describing God the Father, the, the ancient one, not because he's been around forever, but because of his incredible wisdom. This was written to a culture that highly esteemed its elderly, unlike modern day America. We, we, we just don't do that. I wish we did. 
especially because I'm getting there myself. But I read somewhere this week that the prophetic portions of Scripture put the infinite mind of God on display. The prophetic portions of Scripture put the infinite mind of God on display. Friends, you can with the greatest confidence talk to anybody about the Bible, who, anybody who thinks it's archaic, who thinks it's just an old book. Friends, let me tell you something about this book. Archaeological discoveries, the uniqueness of the person of Jesus Christ, and the fulfillment of prophecy are the three best reasons for believing every word that's in this book. Okay? Every archaeological discovery lines up and shows us and proves that the Bible is true. Jesus Christ is unlike anyone else who ever lived. He's so unique, and this book is all about him. And then when a prophecy gets fulfilled, are you kidding me? That there were going to only be four men ever who conquered the entire world, and Jesus would be the fifth one? Only God would have known that. Only God was able to spell that out for us through prophecy. Now, all of this was prophesied in Daniel nearly 3,000 years ago. So, I want you to imagine being one of God's captive people in Babylon. You've been in captivity for over 50 years. Now, wouldn't you begin to wonder about all the promises about being a great nation whose kingdom was going to last forever? I mean, these folks, they needed a win. They needed some hope. And the Lord so graciously gives it to them by telling them that God, through Messiah, his son, would someday rule and reign in an eternal kingdom that will never end. That's what we read in the scriptures today. Now, I just feel the need to warn all of you that when Jesus sets up his eternal kingdom, it starts with the millennial reign here on earth for a thousand years. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him. But I need to warn you, it's not going to be a democracy. You don't get to go in to his throne and talk it over with him. He's going to be a dictator. He is in charge. And he's just going to tell us what to do. And we're going to say, yes, sir. Absolutely. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. So he's going to assign every one of us our portion, what he wants us to do in his world dominate, dominating kingdom. And then um, I think, you know, this is my opinion, that how we're living our lives right now is going to determine the role that he wants us to play in his kingdom. Let me go quickly to point number two today. I call it the Father Revealed. Daniel is so overwhelmed with this vision that God gave him that he, he writes this incredible poem of praise to the ancient of days, to the eternal one, our heavenly father, who is being pictured in his role as the judge of all men, okay? So his eternity 
demonstrates that he has seen and he knows perfectly the actions, the thoughts, the feelings of every man, woman, and child who has ever lived from Adam and Eve all the way through to the end of time. The Ancient of Days knows every detail about your life. He knows perfectly and completely every thought, every feeling, every action that you have ever participated in. He is our perfect judge because nothing escapes his knowledge, nothing escapes his wisdom, and nothing escapes his understanding. He is the one perfectly seated on the throne of judgment. His verdict is true. He will not be swayed by your fame, your, your power, your money. None of that will make any difference to the living God. Verse 10 tells us that the judge has taken his seat and the books were opened. Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12 show us the very same picture. It says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things having been written in the books according to their works. There's no hope for you if you're at the great white throne judgment standing there because they're going to open the books and prove to you over and over and over how much you have sinned missed the mark, fallen short of the glory of God. The Ancient of Days is the holy judge of all men. For those who have not accepted Jesus by faith, the Ancient of Days will judge you by your works. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, therefore, not any flesh shall be justified before him out of the works of the law. The Bible goes on to tell us in verse 22 that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ unto everyone who believes in him. So the ancient of days, he's wearing clothing as white as snow. His hair is like the purest wool. This vision that God gave Daniel shows God in all of his holiness, in all of his purity. Daniel describes him sitting on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire that flows from his presence. The throne of the Ancient of Days is holy, friends. It's majestic. It, it inspires awe. It inspires fear. It is a throne of inextinguishable, holy fire that even the holy angels dare not approach unless summonsed. So how do you imagine that you are going to be able to stand before that holy throne of fire unless you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're standing there in his righteousness? Don't try it. Don't be presumptuous. So many people, just like Mary uh, Donald expressed Friday night in, in the Laugh It Up play. She's a good person. She's not going to fall off the thousand foot cliff. That's just for bad people. Good people, they'll never go to hell. Are you sure? Because my Bible says 
If you have not asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, doesn't matter if all you ever did was tell one tiny little white lie. You're going to be in trouble. Now, I've encouraged you to confess to Jesus your sins and also find a wise, mature brother or sister in Christ and confess to them your sins. Confess your shortcomings to them. them. I've said you need to be ready to stop your self-defeating behavior and thoughts and feelings and be completely ready to obey the Holy Spirit in everything. Pray that you could give over the control of your life and for God to take away every defect of character. Then, pray that he'll give you strength, that he will empower you, that he will embolden you to follow through on his will for your life. If you don't know who this beautiful young lady is, this is my middle daughter, Ashley. Hi. Now, I brought her up so that she could tell you what a perfect dad I was. Go ahead. I'm going to take a seat. No, <laughs> no he, he was an amazing father. Um, but it's so cool because um, when, whenever I come to town, like Pastor Vic said, he's so gracious to share the pulpit. And um, instead of me sharing this Sunday, we talked about me coming in and sharing a little bit about being vulnerable, confessing, sharing, what does that look like? And first of all, I want to say what a gift to invite vulnerability into this message and into this space today. And it's, it's definitely not easy, but it's so worth it to get real, to get honest, to be brave. Something I'm so grateful for is my parents told us girls growing up that they would help pay for college, our wedding, and our first few counseling sessions. (laughs) Because they were amazing parents, but no one's the perfect parent. We're broken. We're in a broken world. We all have our stuff. We come in a marriage. We raise our kids. We do the best we can with God's help, but there are missing pieces. So I wasn't perfect? (laughs) No one is perfect. (laughs) As you were teaching us today. (laughs) Oh, that's right. And go back and listen to your message. <laughs> um, so at first I didn't get it, but now I'm so grateful for that and encouragement. And it was in a counselor's office 13 years ago when I started to unravel some things. I think everyone can benefit from counseling. And I'm so grateful to have a counselor that helps me obtain tools when I'm faced with life's pressures. So one thing that was uncovered in my counseling session is, although I did have incredible parents, my mom's back there, my dad, I remember growing up, really, my parents were there, meals around the table. My dad made it an effort to take all of us girls, there's three of us girls, on daddy-daughter dates. Sometimes he even took us out of school, and we got to go back to school a little bit late. He was at our sports games. Um, He facilitated and encouraged family devotion time. And for those things, I'm forever grateful. I try to do those with my own three little kids that I have. But one thing that was missing was the emotional connection. Not always, but as I look back over, 
Um, and it really didn't notice it until I went off for college. When I, when I left the house, I kind of felt like my dad was like, we did it, we raised them, see ya. <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, I realized that we never really connected or communicated unless I was in town or he came to town and how much I needed that. I needed it um, and it really came out in my first few years of counseling. And one of the hardest things I did, but one of the most incredible, was that I, I called my dad up one day and lovingly confronted and shared what I was missing and what I needed from him. Um, I was still single at the time, and I remember through tears telling my dad that I still needed him to be my covering, to look out for me, to check in on me, just because... <laughs> Just to, just to see how I was doing. And he really didn't realize that. It didn't really, you know, if it did, he would have done that. He didn't know that I needed that. And that's where it comes with being brave and sharing, caring enough to open up and share what you need. I think we both cried that day. But we walked away out of that conversation stronger in our relationship. And it has continued to grow and become stronger because we are both brave and honest with each other. We open up and we share no matter how scary it is, we do it afraid. We ask forgiveness, and we receive forgiveness. You're actually better at doing that afraid thing than I am. You know, because that was a hard day for you to just... So scary. You know, call me up, just tell me, Dad, you know, you were, you were, you were there, you, you did your best, but sometimes emotionally I really needed you, and you didn't know how to respond to that, basically because it's hard to give what you never received. My dad... Uh, came from a broken family, and so his dad wasn't there, left when he was 12, and my dad had four sons, but he never connected emotionally, although he was a great dad. He was there for everything, kind of like, like what I tried to do, but I just, I just didn't know how to do it. And when she confronted me, at first it was like, what? You know, I thought that's the best thing I did, was be a dad, you know? And, and, uh, it was awesome, though. It really brought us close together. But it was, it was um, scary. It took a lot of courage because it could have gone the other way. But um, thank you for that. Thank you for your courage. Yeah, appreciate that. And thank you for allowing me to share. Um, I think that's really the key. And, and I think what I did when I called him up, I said, Dad? I need to share some things. Is this a good time? <laughs> and kind of prepared him, because I think yeah. the mistake sometimes is we come in really hot, we come in strong, we come in angry, and that just shuts the door down. So if you can pray before, if you can ask that person, set up a meeting, let them know you want to share a few things. I mean, what, in, you know, for my dad and I, it's like, yes, we do want to be closer. We do want yeah. this relationship. We do want to talk through the hard things. One thing about the way we raised the girls, um, we didn't really, I mean, again, for me, Brandy and Ashley and Lindsay had to prove to all of you that I was a great dad. So they couldn't mess up too bad. I mean, they, I mean, they had to toe the line, right? But it was all about me. And so, man, I, when they would come to me with stuff when they were younger, and, and I would just shut them down because, I, because it was, 
It was my inability to just let them talk, listen to their heart, listen to their feelings. It's fun to watch Ashley now with her, especially with her two oldest boys. She'll just take them aside and say, okay, tell me how you're feeling right now because they're, they're at each other. And just to let them express their emotion. It's amazing. You let them feel. You let them talk. You never got to do that as a kid. And so, sorry about that. But we're learning and we're growing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing is trust. Yeah. It was hard for you guys to trust. Yeah, and I think when you stuff, you know, because you're not allowed to feel and you're not allowed to share. For me, why, why I'm in counseling today is because anger comes out. Because I stuffed it and I shoved it. And now when my kids are talking back and they're not listening and I don't like it. And so I'm getting the help and the tools that I need so I can try to parent this way so that my kids can parent that way. So each generation, with the help of Jesus, can be better. Exactly. Amen. And I just want to end with a quote, unless you have anything else you want to say. <laughs> Brene Brown says, vulnerability is not weakness. It's our most accurate measure of courage. So when you can, and in a safe place, be vulnerable. I feel that's where God can truly bring healing to your heart and your relationships. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. So, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, my research consultant, Larry Wilson, and I, we, get, we always get together before, and right now we're, we're planning our next book that we're going to look into. It looks like we're headed towards 1 Corinthians. But as we were planning out this series on Daniel, and we're just walking through Daniel, each, each chapter. There are 12 chapters in Daniel, and I said, Larry, what do you think if we took the steps, the 12 steps, would there be a way to correspond each step with each chapter? And I don't know if you've noticed, we're in chapter seven. The seventh step is to, for us, to be ready to ask God, uh, be humble enough to ask God to help us overcome our shortcomings. And that's why we work this right on into the sermon today. Now, I want to go back though, and I want to give you just a quick description of the Antichrist. He's described as the little horn who speaks arrogantly and blasphemous things about God and, 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 and about himself. He, he raises himself up like the devil did, high, higher than God. He wanted to be higher than God. And, and, and that's what he's going to do when he comes here to this planet. He's going to be absolutely arrogant and blasphemous and declare himself to be God. And he's going to try to usurp the, tr the worship of the true and living God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 is where he is called the man of lawlessness. And this book says that he has yet to be revealed. And even though it's kind of fun to try and guess who it is, <laughs> haven't you thought about somebody? Oh, look at them. They're just arrogant, rude, blasphemous, loudmouth. You know, we, none of us 
No, as long as we're still here and we haven't been raptured, no one will ever be able to guess who the Antichrist really is. Now this guy coming, Antichrist will have three significant characteristics. First, he's coming into the world to rule. Okay? A ruler diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. In fact, he's going to make war on Jesus Christ. Secondly, he fancies himself to be an alternate choice instead of Jesus. Choose me, not him. Thirdly, he's going to surface as a king from the Roman Empire according to the scriptures that we are reading today. Daniel chapter 7. He'll be empowered by Satan. He'll be able to work counterfeit miracles and wonders. That's in the book of Revelation. He'll require the people that follow him to take the mark of the beast, 666, in order to buy or sell anything. I've been in town now for 32 years. You know what? One of the things that I miss the most after COVID? The buffets. And the ones at a certain casino we're always known as the feast. And I've been here long enough to get the mark of the feast. <laughs> Modern descriptions of this ferocious fourth beast from which the Antichrist will arise, it's like a T-Rex with 10 horns on its head, something like Godzilla, Jurassic Park. That picture's really not up there. It, it's not its own slide. It's, it's another slide. Still not there. The very first one. Go all the way back. Thank you. All the way back to the first slide, please. Ah, there he is. So this is the first one, Nebuchadnezzar. Second one, the bear. That is Cyrus. Third one is uh, Alexander the Great. And the fourth one up there is Rome, okay? But it also, with the horns, seven horns, and then three more, those ten horns, it's representing the Antichrist, okay? Now remember, what Daniel reveals to us is that the Antichrist is going to be killed by Jesus and its body destroyed by fire. Third and final point today, the most famous one is being revealed to us. So let me finish by just telling you about my king. My king is described as the son of man who's been given glory, signified by the fact that he comes accompanied by the clouds of heaven. Following the feet of the Antichrist and these other wild beasts, Daniel sees one as the Son of Man arising and coming to the throne of the Ancient of Days, our Heavenly Father. He's pictured as the fifth king. And here we see the dual character of Jesus Christ. Because this phrase, the son of man, simply means a human, a, a man. And it speaks to the humanity of the Messiah. This evident truth has been overlooked and misunderstood since the time of Daniel by the Jewish people and by the rabbis. They don't get it that the Messiah has to be 
fully human. Because this phrase is so generic and just means human, it was our Lord's favorite title for himself while he was here doing ministry on the earth. The Jewish people in that day didn't understand the title. Son of Man had very few messianic expectations behind this phrase. But I want to explore what verse 13 says about Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven. There's no doubt that Jesus is for real the fifth king or the fifth world ruler and he comes with the clouds that represent the glory of God and the divine power possessed by the Son of Man. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that triumphal entry day, he came in humbly, riding on a little donkey to save his people by going to the cross, dying for their sins, and rising again on the third day. Now, in contrast, when Daniel sees Jesus, the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he, he sees him coming in power. He sees him coming in great glory. He sees the fifth king, the eternal king, who comes to judge all of those who followed the Antichrist and rejected him as Savior. When he arrives in that glory with the clouds of heaven, he is coming powerfully in judgment and has all authority to complete his twofold task of salvation for those who believe in him and judgment for those who have rejected him. This verse tells us that the Son of Man is also God. He is fully human, but he's also fully God. He's fully our Savior. He is fully our eternal King. It's not a coincidence that when the Sanhedrin could not convict Jesus because of the false witnesses and their conflicting testimonies, Jesus quotes this verse to the high priest and this was his confession that caused the high priest to condemn him and send him to Pilate. Jesus said, and you shall see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. That confession right there it's so important. It's so essential that it's in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. God the Father, who dwells in unapproachable light, who is seated on a glorious throne of fire. What happens when the Son of Man comes to that throne? He is received at that point because he's coming with glory and power because of what he accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Now this is not the pre-incarnate Christ that Daniel is observing, but rather he's looking right at the crucified, risen Christ, the only one ever, ever, ever. No one else can do this. He's the only one who can do this. He goes and he approaches the throne of the Father who's sitting there in all of his holiness, power, and glory. And the Son of Man comes with those same powerful, glorious clouds. And he receives at this point from the Ancient of Days his kingdom, his majesty, and his sovereignty. Verse 14 says this, that unto him was given sovereignty and majesty 
and a kingdom. Sovereignty is a major term in Daniel. Speaks about Jesus having complete authority and complete control without any limit over all of creation. As the fifth king, there will be no limit to his rulership. There's no time limit to his kingdom, unlike those first four kings. Verse 14 in Daniel 7 concludes by saying, Complete and total and eternal sovereignty was given to him which shall not end, and his kingdom which shall not suffer injury. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the universe. He will rule over his kingdom with complete control, overwhelming majesty, indescribable glory. And you and I are going to have the great privilege to reign with him in glory and majesty in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes right now. If you have never asked Jesus to save you from your sins, ask him right now. And you will immediately be transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the ancient of days, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will have the privilege to reign with him forever and ever. Pray right now. In your heart, say, Jesus, oh, I want to ask you, to come into my life. I want to ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I want to live for you. I want to live with you for the rest of eternity. I want you to assign me a place in your kingdom. I want to be used of God. I want you to take my life, Lord, and make something out of it. Give me meaning and purpose and fulfillment. When I lay my head on the pillow at night, I can rest easy because I know that this day, today, I was found fulfilling the will of God for my life. And Lord, I want to also pray about these character defects. Lord, I want to pray that you will help each and every one of us to want you to remove our shortcomings. Lord, give us the courage to want to be confronted by our children, our adult children. and Give us the courage to say, hey, how, how did I do? I mean, I know nobody's perfect. What areas are you struggling with now as a result of the way I raised you? How can I make amends? What can I do to to deepen our relationship together. If you say these things in your heart, if you mean them with all that you have inside of you, then he's going to remove our character defects and he's going to replace it with his purity, his righteousness, his perfection going to be able to live forever in his kingdom and in his presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you mean to every one of us. Thank you for the great, wonderful, life-giving, 
deep breath that each one of us can take right now because we've given you our hearts. We've given you our lives. Oh, friends, let Jesus poke your heart right now. Let Jesus show you the areas that need to be improved. Let Jesus, as you allow the Holy Spirit to just look within you, allow Him to bring purification. Allow Him to bring His presence. Allow Him to bring His Spirit. Lord, we love you. We worship you. Christina's birthday, 
Christina who shared with us. And Mary's birthday too, right? Just found that out today, Mary. Mary and David Rowe. And then uh, Vic and Sarah. Today's their 48th wedding anniversary. Today. 48 years. Be sure to just uh, celebrate with these great folks. Wish them all a happy birthday and happy anniversary. Love you all, everybody. God bless you. Great to have you here with us.